Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Turn your eyes and your pages to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 is what we are going to be looking at today as we look at one of Paul's pastoral epistles, and we're going to look at that for a specific reason. But before we get into today's message, I want to remind you that we are in a series entitled Christ Church, the Dearest Place on Earth. And, and man, what a privilege it is to be a part of his church. What a privilege it is for me personally to be your pastor and to be able to, week after week, share lessons from the Word of God that you would grow in your faith, that you would grow not just minimally, but that you would grow to maturity in your faith. And it's amazing to get to sit back and to watch each of you as you have grown up. Many of you I have seen since birth in Christ. I have witnessed your new birth. I personally got to baptize you and to watch you continue to learn and to grow and to be used by God and to see the Spirit develop the gifts that He has given in you thrills my soul. And I love the church. And I love the fact that we get to worship Him together in this assembly. We have been looking at this, the dearest place on earth, and we've talked about how it is just a small piece of heaven on earth. We get to do what we're going to do for all eternity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to focus on Christ. We get to sing praise and adoration to Christ. And so it is an honor uh, to be able to meet with you each week under the headship of Christ. But we've looked at this in this series so far, the basic attributes of Christ's church, and we saw what, what are the characteristics of the true church. We looked at that in depth for two weeks. We saw the biblical assignment of Christ's church, make disciples. I'm so thankful that we have a church and leadership in our church who is constantly concerned with making disciples a staff that works tirelessly to make sure that we give each opportunity to every person who seeks to grow in Christ and learn the Word of God because that is our biblical assignment from Christ Himself to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them everything that Christ taught His apostles. And so then we saw the beneficial accountability of the church, where we spur one another along in, in faith and good deeds, and where we encourage one another to be all that God has called us to be and all that Christ has saved us to be. And what an amazing thing it is to know that you love me enough to hold me accountable and that I love you enough to hold you accountable and that Christ loves us all enough to put us into that environment where we can do the same for one another as he does for us. And then we saw the brutal adversary of the church, the enemy, Satan, how he's roaming the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is even to this moment doing just that, seeking the weak ones that he can pull down. Because a lion always goes after the weakest one in the herd. So I would encourage you, don't, don't be the weak one in the herd. Grow up in your faith and your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you're not pulled down by that deceptive enemy, that brutal adversary of the church. And then last week, we saw the blessed authority in the church. And last week, we just plainly talked about Christ and His supremacy, and His preeminency, and just how marvelous He truly is and how He is the head over His church, His bride. 
We're thankful for Christ. And today we are going to be talking about the blatant assault on Christ's church. The entire context of the letter that we will be looking at this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the entire context of this epistle is instructions for this young pastor. Paul is giving him important advice and instructions that every church leader and pastor should and ought to know. And part of this in these epistles, both in First both in Timothy and Second Timothy, part of the instruction that Paul is going to give Timothy, he also gives the same instructions to Titus in that pastoral epistle, is concerning false teachers and false teaching. As we look at the blatant assault on Christ's church, I want you to understand that that blatant assault comes from false teachers who bring false teaching. And so if Paul had to tell Timothy and Titus both and to warn them about false teaching and how to take care of the sheep under their leadership, it's important that we look at the same thing. It would do us to be reminded of that this morning. It would do us great good, especially in our day, as it seems that there is another false teaching and false doctrine that comes along with every sunrise. Every new day, it seems that someone comes up with something outside of the Scriptures to try to teach all in the name of Christ and His church. And this assault is nothing new. It's the same blatant assault that went on in the garden against Adam and his wife Eve. We know that Satan there attacked the Word of God, causing man to doubt the truth of the Word of God and to sand and rest in the Word of God. And they did what their fleshly desires were, sending us all into what we know as the original sin, total depravity. It's nothing new. As we see in the New Testament, Paul waging war against the Judaizers of his day. And then we see John, and he fought against the Gnostics of his day. It's John who speaks of light and darkness because the Gnostics of his day said that they had gained greater light and John was letting them know there is but one light, and that light is Christ. And if you were in Christ, you were in the light. If you were not in Christ, you were in darkness. And you can't be in darkness and light all at the same time. So we see that John fought the false teachings of his day. Jude, as we know, contended for the faith against what we know as the antinomians of his day. Those who were using grace as a license to sin. In fact, Jude writes a whole letter, and he says, I, I would love to write to you about Christ and the great salvation that we have, but I must write to you that you would contend for the faith against those who are attacking the truth inside the church, telling you that grace is merely but a license to do whatever you want to do, to continue in your sin, all in the name of grace. May it never be. Then historically, we move to the Reformers and they battled the assault against truth that came from the Roman Catholics. In fact, Martin Luther stood there at the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, nailing his thesis to the door in 1517, October 31st, saying enough is enough. And he took a stand for salvation by faith alone and Christ alone, sparking what we know as the Protestant Reformation. There were many others the John Calvins, the John Knoxes, the John Husses, the William Tyndalls, the John Wycliffs, many people throughout history who lived and died defending biblical 
truth, sound doctrine. Spurgeon in his own day had his downgrade controversy where the teaching of the day was turning to liberalism in his mind, going against the Scriptures, going against the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture, turning to entertainment and worldly tactics to try to reach people. Spurgeon saw this coming and it disheartened him. In fact, truth be told, led to his depression and eventually led to his death because it was such a discouraging thing. So there's always been a blatant assault on Christ's church, and that assault comes in the form of attacking sound biblical preaching and teaching. It's no different in our day. And Paul's going to give us some insight here as we read this together, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He's going to give us insight into the reality of this fact, and he's going to tell us how to deal with it. And so we read this in verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. What is he saying? He's saying in the authority of Jesus Christ, I'm about to give you a charge. Listen to what I'm telling you, Timothy. Now let's think back 2,000 years ago. He is telling Timothy this as he writes to him. Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, who Paul left there to pastor this church, he's writing to him 2,000 years ago saying, there are going to be false teachers who creep in amongst you. Pay attention to this, Timothy. Jesus as my witness, he says. He says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. He says when it's popular, when it's not popular, when it's accepted, when it's not accepted. When it costs you nothing and when it costs you everything. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He tells him why. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. He says there are going to be people who, who they just gather around teachers who tell them what they want to hear, teachers who make them feel good, teachers who make them feel better about themselves, teachers who use fleshly tactics, psychology. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He goes on to say they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They would rather hear made-up myths, stories, than to hear the truth from the Scriptures. He says, but you, you keep your head in all situations. Be diligent. Be stubborn. Be hard-headed. Be convinced. He says, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Be willing to suffer. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, pour it all out. Don't leave anything in the cup. Paul is telling Timothy, in your duties and ministry, pour it all out. Your life is Christ. Pour it all out for Christ. Now, as we look at this, we're going to see that we have instructions from Paul about these false teachers, and, and we're going to find them sandwiched in how to withstand these false teachings. And so we're going to look at it a little bit differently today. I'm, I'm going to actually look at the middle, and then we're going to look at the two ends at the end, the, the first verses and the last verses. But what I want you to see first, and you can see it in the entirety of those first five verses and the entirety of this letter, who he's writing to and why he's writing this. He's writing this to the church. 
And the reason that he's writing this is because there is going to be, Paul's letting Timothy know, a blatant assault on Christ's church. And he's writing to Timothy, the pastor of a church, so that he understands this assault is not going to come from without. It's not going to come through the politics of this world, the government of this world, the philosophies of this world. Why? Because we know they're all worldly. If the world was going to attack us, we would spot that a mile away. He's wanting Timothy to understand. In fact, we see this throughout the New Testament in many of the teachings about false teachers and false doctrine. This blatant assault on Christ's church rises from within. Something that's going to happen internally. In fact, we can go to Jude's letter. Jude says this in Jude chapter 1, verse 4. He says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in. Some of your translations say crept in among you. They are sneaking in the church. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. I want you to know this today, that these attacks rise from within. They are deceptive in their nature. They're deceptive because they are teachers who are really wolves in sheep's clothing. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus addressed this, uh, causing us to look at it and say we must be aware of these things. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They don't come to you looking like the world. They come to you looking like sheep. He says they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Pay attention to that, church. There are wolves who are blatantly assaulting the church even now. Many of them standing in pulpits in this country and around the world right now. He says, by their fruit you will recognize them. What is he saying? He's saying that their life is not going to match who they say that they are. That their life is not an open book. It's not transparent. It's not righteousness lived out in front of other people. That they're double-minded and they live a double life. He says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. What does a good tree bear? Good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Jesus keeps it simple so we can understand it. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He wanted his followers to recognize false prophets and false teachers. He said, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. There'll be people who claim one thing, but they live another. He goes on. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He said, don't believe everybody just because they have a claim. Examine their life. Discern their life. Are they really living these things out? Are they who they say that they are? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. They fell into the trap of false teaching and false teachers, thinking that they were something, doing all of these miracles and driving out demons, and the Lord's going to tell them that counts for nothing. It counts for nothing. It's all false. It was all a show because your life did not bear witness to the change that Christ brings. You're a false prophet. 
These are wolves in disguise. They subtly creep in, as Jude said, often unnoticed. And they're, they're the ones who start their own little Bible studies on the side without talking about, to any leadership in the church about it because they don't want the leadership in the church to know about it because usually they're trying to teach things that they know the leadership won't agree with. So they start their own little cells here and their own little cells there. They do this because they're trying to deceive others. We must use spiritual discernment in recognizing them. Let me tell you something, church. Don't feel bad about the discernment that the Holy Spirit gives you. If the Holy Spirit gives you discernment to know that something isn't right, you know what? Something isn't right. And there's that person who comes to you and they're teaching false doctrine. Something isn't right. They're not, they're not squaring up with Scripture or their life is not squaring up with the claims that they make. Pay attention. Mark those people. Do some more investigating. Discern the situation or you could fall prey to it. It's interesting in the woke ideology of today, we almost have to feel bad if we use the discernment that the Holy Spirit gives us. We must discern truth. Why? Because these wolves in sheep's clothing are distorters of the truth. They're distorting it left and right even in our day. Back in Paul's day in Acts chapter 20, he says this to the church in verse 25 of Acts. Now I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He says, so long, farewell, you're not going to see me in this life. I have said what I have to say. Watch this. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim you the whole will of God. He says, I have preached to you the full counsel of the will and the word of God. I have nothing to hang my head about. I have left nothing out. And he warns them. Watch this as he's leaving. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's obviously talking about pastors and overseers in the church. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He warns them, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. While Paul was there, he was confident in this, that he was defending and contending for the faith. He says, but I know this, that when I leave, there are going to be those who come in and they're, and they're ravenous wolves and they're going to seek to devour the flock. Church, it's important that we understand that there are always those people creeping in, ravenous wolves disguised as sheep, trying to discourage and destroy the flock of God. He says, even from your own number, verse 30, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. In their own pride, they're going to pull disciples away from Christ to follow their false teaching. He says, so be on your guard. Don't feel bad, church, when you're on your guard. Especially when you see warnings in scriptures that there are wolves creeping in unaware. Be on guard. Use discernment. Call a wolf a wolf. Don't play around with him. Remember that for years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul said, I warned you with tears. I pled with you. Use discernment when these come in distorting the truth. Not only do they distort the truth and Disguise themselves as sheep among the wolves. I mean, as sheep among the sheep when they're really wolves. They're workers of deceit. They speak lies because they belong to the father of lies. And that is his native tongue, as Scripture tells us. But they work deceit. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul addresses this. He says in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Christ. He's saying they're no apostles at all. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's saying they're doing what their master does. 
It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. These people are workers of deceit. Deceiving those who are in the church to follow after things that are not true. And they creep in, and here's how they do it oftentimes. Church, please listen to me. They creep in, and they're nice. Uh, they're, they're, they're maybe even charismatic in their personality. What they do is they befriend you, and they make you think that they're godly in all of their ways, when really it's just outward clothing. But inwardly, they're wolves. Oh, they're the ones who say, hey, would you like to have lunch after the service? And then after the service, when you go to eat lunch with them, all they do is try to say that the truth that was preached from the pulpit is not really truth, that they have been enlightened to deeper truth. Let me show you what it really means. They become gurus in their own minds of others. Before you know it, those deceptive wolves in sheep's clothing begin Cause division in the church. Not only are they deceptive, they're divisive. Tempting to divide the church. What's so wrong with that? Well, Christ prayed for our unity. Everything is wrong with that. He wants us one heart and one mind. And how can we be one heart and one mind? We are all settled on what this book and this book alone teaches. These people come along. They attempt to divide Christ's church. Romans chapter 16, Paul speaks of this. Verse 17, he says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. What is the teaching that they have learned? The teachings of Christ, the teaching of the Scriptures. Keep away from them. Don't feel bad. He says, distance yourself from them. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. They don't deceive the minds of a mature Christian. Oh, that's why you hear me pounding that drum all the time. Grow in your faith. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a mature believer. Take every avenue that you can to study the Word of God and to grow up in Christ. Why? So that you're not one of those naive people who can be deceived by the smooth talk and the flattery of these false teachers. They're divisive. Attempting to tear apart everything that God is doing in the church in regard to unity seeking to dismantle biblical unity by the things that they say and the things that they teach. Paul tells Titus, that, that pastor there in, in that pastoral epistle, he says to Titus, he says, warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. And then he says this, after that, have nothing to do with him. What is he saying? Exactly what he said. Warn them once. When that person is being divisive, he's trying to cause discord in the church, warn him. You as sheep, warn that person, the one who took you to lunch, that false teacher trying to creep in. Say, hey, wait a second, you're wrong in what you say because the Scriptures say this very clearly. And you need to stop being divisive for the sake of being divisive. Here's what's going to happen. If that person is a believer, they're going to say, you're right. I'm so sorry. I would never want to cause division in the body of Christ because Christ prayed for the opposite. Forgive me. And they'll get on their face and they'll confess their sin to the Lord and they'll repent of that sin. The unbeliever, what he does is he says, who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? That's why he says, give him the benefit of the doubt, show him a little grace and go to him a second time. But after in the second time, this person still remains divisive, he says, have nothing to do with him. You say, well, that doesn't sound like 
Jesus I know. You need to read the Scriptures more. It's exactly like the Jesus you know. It's not the Jesus that people are drawing for you today to believe in. They believe in a false Jesus, a weak, sissified Jesus, who is a bearded woman wearing a dress. The Word of God says this. Warn that divisive person once. Warn them a second time. If they don't get it, have nothing to do with them. Oh, I know it's not popular. Believe me, I've had to do it. To go to someone and say you're being negative about things and you're being divisive and we're not going to tolerate negativity and divisiveness in the household of God. Well, they got an option there, don't they? And get right with the Lord. Or they can keep being divisive. The next step is this. We're going to have nothing to do with them. We're going to remove them from fellowship just as the Word of God teaches us. They're going to be marked as an unbeliever. We're going to pray for their soul that God would graciously save them. We see that these people are divisive, seeking to dismantle the very unity that Christ died for us to have in His church. Not only are they deceptive and divisive, they're deviant. They're deviant. Jude says this in Jude verse 12. He said, These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, the autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars from whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Oh, Jude was not trying to win friends and influence people there with this statement. What was he doing? He was saying that these false teachers have deviated from any truth at all. There is no truth in them. That the blackest darkness has been reserved for them forever. They're deviant, disputing sound doctrine, denying the sovereignty of our Lord, dismissing holy living, all while abusing grace, departing from the true faith only to believe in a man-made faith that is no faith at all. These are all common characteristics of false teachers found throughout all of the New Testament. We'll see more of that as we travel on. This blatant assault on Christ's church rises from within. I want you to understand that. Why? Because it could be rising now. It could be someone sitting next to you, to your right, to your left. It could be your reach group leader. It could be your enriched teacher. It could be possibly even me. Discern the truth. How do we discern the truth? We discern the truth through the Word of God. Is this person living a consistent life with the Word of God? You must ask yourself that question. This is a blatant assault on Christ's church that rises from within. Secondly, it's a blatant assault on Christ's church that attacks God's Word. False teachers always attacking God's Word. Look what he says there in verse 3. And I told you we'll get back to the other beginning verses in a moment. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. These teachers attack God's Word Many different ways, three of which we will speak of this morning. Number one, by downgrading its authority. We see this so many times in the day and the culture that we live in. The emergent, postmodern, so-called churches of today, seemingly always attacking the God-breathed inspiration of Scripture. 
reducing it to just some good thoughts made by man about God. These are not just good thoughts by man about God. This is the very Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to men as they were carried on by that same Holy Spirit and as they wrote these things down under the inspiration of that Holy Spirit. It seems as in our day, every time we turn the pages of any Christian magazine or any Christian website pops up, we see the inspiration of Scripture being attacked. I've even had people in the church tell me that. Well, isn't this really just all stuff that man made? No, I can promise you this. Man would have never written these things about himself. If I would have written a book about me and how I should live, it would look nothing like this. Man, it would be sin all the time, enjoy life, party, have a good time, and go to heaven in the end. That's the antinomianism of the day, isn't it? They're always attacking the inspiration of Scripture. Not only that, they're attacking the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. When we attack the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture, we have nothing left, right? We've removed inspiration. We remove infallibility. Now it has uh, faults of some kind in it. We remove inerrancy. Now it's error. Now what do we get to do? Well, what modern churches are doing. We get to pick and choose the parts that we like, and we get to leave out the parts that we don't. We get to believe what we want to believe, and the Scriptures really mean nothing to us. Paul is writing to Timothy so that it not be so. These teachers attack the Word of God by downgrading its authority. Not only that, and it is so prevalent in our day, your teachers like Brian McLaren and Rob Bell, those who began the emergent church movement, these heretics who reduce the Word of God to just another book to put alongside of other books. It seems like there's one every day. A new one pops up. These people exchange biblical authority and Christian orthodoxy, as the Scripture defines it, for hip, cool, and relevant. They mix it with human philosophy, postmodern, humanistic reasoning, attacking the very authority of God's Word, which I want you to know this is an attack on Christ Himself. Please see the seriousness of that. When you attack the Word of God, you attack Christ Himself. Remember John 1, 1 in the beginning was the Word, Logos, John 1, 14, and the Word it became flesh and dwelt among us. When you attack the, the inspiration and the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Word of God, you are no longer Christian. You are attacking Christ Himself, and that would be impossible for a Christian to do. Please pay attention to that. Please see the seriousness of that. These men downgrading the authority of Scripture. Not only downgrading the authority of Scripture, introducing destructive heresies. This is what Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But there were, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly, not openly, not so that anyone knows about it, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now you see how the two go hand in hand? heresy and a denial of the sovereign Lord? Oh, when you began to deny the sovereignty of God, you were treading on thin ice. Be very, very careful. I hear people all the time, God's sovereign, but there is no God's sovereign, but he is either sovereign or he's not sovereign. And you need to rest in the sovereignty of God and stop disputing, is he sovereign over all things? Because he can't be sovereign over some things because then he wouldn't be sovereign at all. 
They introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. Who are they going to exploit? You. They're the ones selling the books, right? They're the ones selling all the books about what you've missed, about the hidden Bible books that you didn't know about that they found somewhere. There, there aren't any. There are 66 books. They're all canonized by the hand of God. We have them. Stop looking for anything else. Extra biblical, biblical revelation is not biblical. It's written. It's closed. He says they, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Oh, man. Isn't it interesting, all these books that you read about people going to heaven, and now they're all recanting, saying, okay, I never really went to heaven. I just wanted to sell a book. Don't be ignorant. Four people get a vision of heaven, and it's all different? No, we see Isaiah's vision, exactly like John's vision, exactly like Daniel's vision. They all saw the same thing. He says their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Pay attention to the fact that they introduced destructive heresy. Any teaching, whether it be old or new, that contradicts biblical truth is a destructive heresy. It does harm and not good. Everybody's looking for something new and hip and relevant. Stop. Stick to the manuscript that we have been given by the hand of God. Everything there is what you need for life and godliness. Walk in it. Study it. Live it. Any teaching that contradicts it, mark it as heresy, and don't be afraid to call heresy heresy. Don't be afraid like many to call a heretic a heretic. If they depart from the true faith, that is what they are, and they are leading others to do it. These teachings and these teachers, Paul says, are destructive. They're destructive. It must be identified. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says in verse 16, Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them, they are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. He names them by name. That's for all you people who get mad, right? You're mad. You don't even know who Brian McLaren is, but you got mad because I named him by name. And Rob Bell, you felt sorry for him. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Not believers at all. They've wandered away from the faith. Paul goes on. He says this. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they've wandered away from the faith, the true faith, truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Now imagine in Paul's day, right? These guys come into the church, right? Hey, you want to go eat after lunch? I mean, after church, you want to go have lunch? Yeah. Okay, let's go. And they sit down at the table and they say, you know how Paul was talking about how we're waiting for the resurrection and how that's our hope and how we ought to encourage one another with this? Yeah, that's not right. It's already happened. Let me tell you why it's already happened. You see how these people creep in? They began to tell Stories. Stories that have no biblical truth at all. They begin to confuse people. Can you imagine being in the early church when those false teachers were there teaching those things? Well, if there's not a resurrection that we're waiting for, what in the world are we doing now? 
And how in the world are we going to encourage each other with the hope of a future resurrection? Paul is letting them know these guys are liars. They're heretics and false teachers. Don't listen to them. They've introduced to you destructive teachings, destructive heresies. Can I ask this question? Where are the shepherds who care enough about God's sheep to warn them about these wolves, to name them by name as the Apostle Paul did? Where are they? In our seeker-sensitive, afraid-to-offend-anyone woke culture, many won't stand up and identify a wolf, protect the sheep. Paul was not that way. He was letting Timothy know there are going to be those wolves, a blatant assault on Christ's church. That's what a wolf does by nature. He devours sheep. He does this by downgrading the authority of Scripture through destructive heresies, but also through doctrines of demons. Man, we just took it up another level, didn't we? Oh, it was just kind of kind and innocent when we were talking about the fact that they differ, we just differed in opinion about the resurrection. No, you differed from the Word of God. We didn't differ in opinion. You're teaching something that's not consistent with Scripture. That's not a matter of opinion. Thus saith the Lord. Where are the men in the church who will say, Thus saith the Lord. That's who we need. You stand on the word of truth. And then he calls them doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says in verse 1, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Deceiving spirits, how? They were weak and they were deceived easily. They began to follow things that were taught by demons. I can promise you, I could point you to some meetings you can go to, and it wouldn't take you long if you have any discernment at all to realize this is demonic. It's not biblical at all. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with hot, a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. They create law. He goes on and he says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And he goes on to say this. These people are, are introducing doctrines of demons in the form of legalism telling you that it's a sin to get married in certain situations. Yes, Roman Catholic Church, that's what you taught your leaders, and that's why there are so many sex scandals and immorality that pops up all of the time. Because you have forsaken them from a biblical right to have a wife. Where nowhere in Scripture does it exclude leadership in the church from being married, but tells them how to be a faithful husband to their wife. But they introduce these doctrines of demons, confusing people, throwing them into chaos, introducing doctrines that contradict justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and introducing the church to doctrines that are works-based and man-centered, diminishing the very grace of God in their teaching. Any, you write this down, any doctrine that denies the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ is heresy. You, you can write a capital any there on the side of your notes. Be aware of that. These doctrines of demons, these false teachings, these false teachers 
constantly introducing these things into the church. Watch what he says about this. He tells them in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 4 where we were. Verse 6, excuse me. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. He says a good pastor is going to point these things out to the brethren. He's going to say, watch out for these false teachings and these false teachers brought up in truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. And he says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. We have to be warned of the doctrines of demons that lead those in the church astray. It's an attack that's going on even now. The whole charismatic movement, and I'm not afraid to say it, the whole charismatic movement is a movement full of doctrines of demons. You say, well, I'm charismatic. I hope you are charismatic, meaning that you are gifted and you're operating in the, the gifts that God has given you. But I pray by charismatic that you don't really believe that it's okay to depart from the Holy Scriptures and to receive revelation and word from God and teaching from God that, that's outside of the Word of God. There's no plumb line in your life then. He has already spoken, and I want you to understand that. Hebrews tells us that. We know this. It's not something that we've never heard before in this church. And in times past, the Lord spoke in many ways through the prophets, in many other ways. But in these last days, He has spoken through His Son. We have the Word of Christ. That is the plumb line that we need. It is the thing that keeps us from the doctrines of demons that are being thrown at us constantly. Any doctrine that's not based on the authority of Scripture. It's not biblical doctrine. Right, a doctrine that's based on your opinion, your upbringing, your heritage, your traditions. I say this to you. Show me in the Word of God. And if it is in the Word of God, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to embrace it. If it's not in the Word of God, I'm not going to believe it. And if you keep pushing it, I'm going to believe that not only are you teaching things that are unbiblical, I'm going to believe that you are a false teacher, a wolf among the sheep. I'm going to mark you as such. Because the only thing that's true is His Word. Jesus said it, John 17, sanctify them by truth, your word is truth. Any doctrine that leads you to question the inspiration in there and see an infallibility of Scripture is a doctrine of demons. Every single one of them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. There's your case for total inspiration from the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Psalm 18, verse 30, the psalmist said this, As for God, His way is perfect. How many of you would agree? God's perfect. Then you have to agree the next statement. The word of the Lord is flawless because a perfect God's word is always flawless because every word that He speaks is perfect. He's a shield for all who take refuge in Him. The psalmist lets us know about the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture there in that one little small passage. So we look at the blatant assault on Christ's church. We see that it comes from within, rises within our midst. It attacks God's Word. Thirdly, it exchanges truth for wives' tales. Look at verse 3, the second part. As we hurry along, from the time will, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. They don't want sound doctrine. They're not going to endure it. Instead, big word there, highlight that, instead, to suit their own desires. To do what? Instead of submitting to biblical authority, 
they want to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. And you can gather a great number of them. Don't you know they come a dime a dozen? A great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Tell us what we want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We don't care if it's true. Tell us how good we really are. We're tired of some preacher standing up there saying that we're totally depraved and in need of Christ. Will you please tell us something good about us? And so that preacher gets up there and he lies to them and he tells them, you're good. Everything's going to be okay. You're an overcomer. Not without Christ, you're not. You haven't overcome a thing. Everything's going to be all right. No, it's not. You're going to spend eternity separated from the goodness of a holy God in hell under his wrath for all eternity. That's what you're going to do. We don't like those things. We would rather believe myths. And so what these preachers are going to do, they're going to give them the myths that they desire to make them feel better about themselves. Church, listen to me. Every individual in this room, you have nothing good to feel about yourself. You are despicable. You are wretched. You are a sinner. I am all of those things times a thousand. And apart from the grace of God and Jesus Christ, none of us have any hope. But these false teachers, well, they're going to give them myths. Wives tells, they're going to tell them that they're okay. Tell them what they want to hear. These teachers assault the church by teaching these fallacies, diminishing the truth of God's word. Why don't they do that? Diminishing God's word at every turn. At best, they reduce the word of God from the main course to a side dish of a very small portion that the people get to decide they want. <laughs> it shouldn't be so. They deny the importance of sound doctrine. Well, you see these people all the time. I just don't want to get all caught up in doctrine. Why? You don't like the truth? Don't you know the truth will set you free? That's what Christ said. Where would we be without the truth? You would rather believe lies and myths and made-up stories. These teachers assault the church and the truth that the church is built upon by diminishing God's word, by drawing the weak, or those weak people who just want to hear something that appeases their flesh. It's blatant assault. It's geared toward the weak. In fact, it's even geared toward the unbeliever. The whole seeker-sensitive movement that's going on in the church is geared toward the weak and the unbelieving. It should not be so. The church is a place where we encourage the saint to grow up in Christ, not to remain an infant tossed to and fro, like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 talks about. It talks about those infants tossed back and forth by, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He's talking about those infants who they don't know what they believe from day to day to day to day. Oh, that false teacher sniffs that out. Oh, he or she is in our midst now, and he or she is looking for you, Mr. or Mrs. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Why? Because they want to use you in their evil plot to cause division in the church, to destroy what God's doing here in this body. This is why, Christians, listen to me, this is why I stand here week 
after week after endless week encouraging you to be grounded in biblical truth so that you're not drawn away. You're not pulled down by your own weakness or your spiritual immaturity. I encourage you, get in a Bible study. Fellowship with other believers. Grow in faith. Why do I do this? I don't get bonus points for that. I'm mandated by Scripture to do that. Why? So that you're not weak, tossed to and fro, so that you're grounded in the Word of God, you're grounded in sound doctrine, you're grounded in the truth, so that when the enemy does come, you discern that this is not right. This is a wolf. It's only posing as a sheep. These teachers, salting the church by diminishing God's Word and drawing the weak, Delighting in the flesh. They delight in the flesh and they appeal to man's fleshly desires by delighting in the flesh. Instead of making God's will and God's word of us utmost importance, these false teachers make our flesh and our feelings of utmost importance. That's why they use entertainment and excitement, right? There are churches now, they're jumping motorcycle ramps to keep the people's attention. The Word of God won't keep your attention, Christian. You have a problem. You say, well, what do you mean? I have a short attention span. Really? You sat down last Sunday and watched the NFL for three hours. Tell me about your attention span. You like to be entertained. And these false teachers know that in your flesh, you like to be entertained. So what do they do? They entertain you. They excite you. They prey on your emotions and your feelings. They give you the cravings and the appetites of your flesh, and they wrap it up, and they call it church. And this is backward. This is backward. This is not biblical. If you're a preacher and you're in this room, listen to what I'm going to tell you now. We need more preaching and less production. We need more doctrine and less Doctrines of demons and less drama in the church. Oh, we see it over and over, don't we? Oh, we'll, we'll go to church to, to listen to the drama team for 30 minutes. But man, give us a sermon of 10. Or even better, five. And preacher, don't, don't, don't dare go an hour, because if you go an hour, we miss lunch. I'll risk an hour so that your soul will be saved, and you'll miss lunch, but you won't miss heaven. How about that? We need more preachers, less production, more do doctrine, and less drama. I say this to all of us. Turn off the catchy video clips. Turn on the lights. Stop the smoke machine for crying out loud. Stop the smoke machine. Stop the blinky lights. Open the word of God, you men of God, and feed the souls of Christ's sheep. That's what we're called to do. Stop trying to appeal to man's flesh. Isn't that what they're doing today? Let's grow the church by appealing to man's flesh. No. Don't worry about growing the church. We're going to see what he tells Timothy next. He says, preach the word. Preach the word. And he'll add to their number daily those who are being saved. He'll grow his church. It belongs to him anyways. I don't have to come up with some scheme or marketing idea. I have to preach the Word. We see as we move on in this, there is a blatant assault. A blatant assault. Lastly, as we've looked at it, it rises from within, 
It attacks God's word. It exchanges truth for wives' tales. And it must be withstood. We can't just sit back and know that this is going on and do nothing about it. What kind of pastor would I be? What kind of leader would I be? We can't sit back and do nothing about it. We must, must withstand this blatant assault. How do we do that? Verses 2 and 5 give us the how to do that. As Paul's making this charge to Timothy, he tells him how. First thing that he says in verse 2 is this. Preach the Word. The Word. Not your opinions or politics or philosophies or stories or your illustrations that you make up on the fly. Preach the Word. Preach it. Preach it. Preaching is all but being eliminated in the churches in this world. Right? We want more entertainment and less preaching. We want more music and less preaching. Paul, writing to Timothy, warning him about false teachers, doesn't say, man, crank the band up a little louder and play a few more songs. No, he says, if you want to combat the blatant assault on truth in the church, keep preaching the Word. Instant in season and out of season. When people hate you for it, when people like you for it, when it's popular, when it's not popular, when it's acceptable, when it's not acceptable, when it gets you thrown into prison or even gets you killed, preach the Word. The Word takes care of everything else. I read just this week an article, kind of interesting, I must say, on a website called Church Leaders. I wouldn't recommend the website to you. Rather disheartening. It was entitled this, Ten Reasons to Stop Preaching. Talking about in our church services. Oh, it is foolishness to the world, isn't it? Ten Reasons to Stop Preaching. It was written by a woman named Kathleen Ward who knows nothing about leadership in the church and nothing about preaching. Reason number one. People aren't good at listening. That's why you need to stop. Because people aren't good at listening. I've seen your Facebook posts, folks. You go to concerts, and the world sings about partying and drinking for two hours, and you sing along with them. You're good at listening at what you want to listen to, aren't you? People aren't good at listening. They only have about a 10 to 15 minute. Attention span. Most sermons go well beyond this. Oh, she doesn't even know me. <laughs> Here's what she said next. Here's why you need to stop preaching. You ready? People learn more when they talk. I mean, the only problem is that contradicts what James says, that we should be slow to speak, quick to listen. She was saying, let's sit around in a circle. Let's just let everybody have their idea about what the Scripture says. And not, not giving regard to gifted men in the church who God has gifted to teach and to preach the Word of God. Forget about those guys. Let's have a circle chat. What do you think that Scripture says? Oh, that's nice. What do you think that Scripture says? Oh, that, would you like another cup of coffee? Yes. Oh, oh, what do you think? Who cares what you think? What does the Word of God say? What does God think? What is God saying in this text, in the context of this text? What does it mean? That's one meaning, the right one, the right interpretation. What is that? 
Who cares what Susie Q drinking her coffee has to say? People learn more when they talk. Oh, I like this one. If we do, if we do away with preaching, I'm glad she was thinking of me. Less preparation time than a sermon. I no longer have to prepare a sermon. Sweet. Except for I can do nothing. Preach the word of God because this is what God created me to do. Where would I be? What would I do if I couldn't go into my study and open the word of God and devote myself to sound doctrine? Why? For each of you, the sheep, so that you can hear the truth because I care enough about your soul that I don't mind spending hours upon hours upon hours digging through the Word of God, reading manuscripts that, that, uh, from people who've been dead for two or three hundred years. I don't mind doing that. Why? So you can hear the truth. Oh, but let's make it easy on the pastor. Yeah, let's make it easy on most of them because they're all lazy. They can play more golf. Be involved in the ministerial alliances. Brush elbows with the politicians in town. Less preparation time than a sermon if we just sit around and talk about it on a Sunday morning. Then she goes on and says, if we do it up my way, <clears throat> there's more insights than in a sermon. Really? More insights than, than to just open the Word of God and to say, here's what it says. This is what it means, and this is directly from God to us, preserved sometimes for up to 4,000 years so that you can have it in your hand today and hear a message from a holy God. You're telling me, lady, that your way is more effective? No, Paul said, preach the word. You must be devoted to solid biblical preaching. This lady then says this. If she hadn't lost me yet, this was the deal breaker. She said, there's more authority in the chats in a circle than in a sermon. You mean to tell me there's more authority in your little chat about your opinion than there is in expositing the truth of the Word of God? You mean to tell me that there's more authority in your method than there is in the authority of the Word of God? You have crossed over into heresy. Ten reasons why we believe churches should stop using sermons. They should stop preaching. I'll give you one reason why we should keep preaching because Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Preach your opinions. Preach the word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Being patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we preach these truths with power and persuasion. The power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, these people attacking Preaching in the church must be withstood by that preaching, must be withstood by sound doctrine. In an age when men are opposed to sound doctrine, we need to strive all the more to stand in it. When they think we're crazy, we must stand. When they think we're old-fashioned and outdated, we must stand. We must stand sound doctrine. Titus Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says you must. You must. It's, it's imperative. Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. It's a mandate to the pastors. Oh, I know it's not entertaining. 
Albeit, I will assure you, it is not fun. Why are we not consulting the Word of God about how we should handle the blatant assault on Christ's church? The Word of God says that in the face of this blatant assault, keep preaching the Word. Solid preaching, sound doctrine. Look, he doesn't leave anything out. The next thing, straightforward gospel presentation. Watch what he says here. He tells Timothy, preach the Word. Preach it. Then he goes on to verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Be willing to suffer. You will suffer. If you preach the word, you walk in sound doctrine. He says, do the work of an evangelist. He doesn't say, Timothy, you're an evangelist. Timothy was a pastor, an overseer of a church. He said, do the work of an evangelist. He said, never leave out the straightforward gospel presentation. Always share the gospel. Do the work of the evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? To deliver the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. And in order to deliver the good news, sometimes you have to share the bad news, right? No, every time. Good news is not good news unless there's bad news first. And the true gospel says this, there's bad news. And you know what that bad news is? All of you in this room, myself included, have broken every single one of God's commands. We are transgressors. We are lawbreakers. We are sinners by our nature. We are cut off and we are alienated from God apart from Jesus Christ. We are hopeless and helpless without hope and without God. And the only thing that can change that is the fact that 2,000 years ago on a cross outside of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ died in your place and in my place and in the place of all who will believe. And he did that to bear the punishment and the wrath of our sin so that we could receive his righteousness imputed to us, that we could stand before a holy God blameless and clean and forgiven, so that we could receive eternal life in Christ, the resurrection and the life. We have to preach the gospel straightforwardly, unapologetically. You can't tiptoe around the tulips. He said, do the work of an evangelist. When false teachers come in, keep preaching the gospel to them. Oh, you're in our midst today? False teacher, ma'am, sir, my prayer for you is today God would graciously save you. He would pull you out of your deceit, the darkness that you live in, and that he would pull you into the glorious light of Jesus Christ, that you would trust in the atoning work of Jesus that he made on the cross, and that today you would be saved. Why do we continue to preach the gospel? Even so, those false teachers might hear it and believe. A straightforward gospel presentation. To preach it is the only way of salvation. Young men, you preachers in the room, you teachers in the room, always do the work of an evangelist. It always comes down to this in the end, doesn't it? Turn to Christ. You must be born again. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Don't be ashamed of that message. Well, I've been in and listened to some church services where it was almost like they wanted to apologize when it came time to share the gospel. Oh, don't apologize. Share it with all the boldness that the Holy Spirit musters up in you that day to share it with. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he says, and I'm almost done, I promise. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
dump it out. With all the passion and all the zeal and all the energy that you have, Romans 12, 11. You college kids know that. It says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, fire. Keep it. Never be lacking in zeal. No matter what comes along, be it life or be it death, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor on fire for the Lord, serving Him, serving the Lord. Paul's telling Timothy the same here. Dump it out, man. Do what God has called you to do. Don't ever stop doing it. No matter what. Use the gift that God has given you. Paul makes very clear to Timothy that he has recognized that gift in Timothy since he was a child. He says, keep pouring that gift out, ministering to others, steadfast ministry. Don't neglect a single day of your calling because it may be your last. We can learn a lot from great men like Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards understood the value of short time in this life. In fact, if you studied anything about his life, you know about Jonathan Edwards' resolves, his resolutions that he wrote down. He resolved to not waste one single moment on anything that didn't matter. That's the heart of a man of God. That's how we fight against the blatant assault on the church. We know that the enemy is roaming around, doing what he does. And we don't have time to rest because we don't want to see any of the sheep pulled down by the wolves. And so we have to diligently use our time for the glory of God. Don't waste a single moment. I've been on the deathbed, beside the deathbed of many people in my life, doing what I do. Never have I met a person. Never have I met a person who said, God just gave me too much time on this earth. I just had extra time. No, they say, if I could go back and I could change one thing, if I could go back and I could do this differently, oh, I wish I could serve the Lord with more fervor. Please hear me, church. How do we withstand the blatant assault on Christ's church? Be steadfast in ministry. Be so focused, so fixated, so passionate about what God has called us to do we have no time to be distracted by anything else. Serve the Lord passionately and unapologetically. Oh, we know that the church could use some passion in our day, couldn't it? There's a blatant assault that's going on against the church. We have to stand against it. Solid preaching, sound doctrine, straightforward gospel presentation, steadfast ministry, pouring our lives out for the truth. Pouring our lives out for Christ. You know what's going to happen when you pour your life out for Christ? A, a false teacher is going to be spotted immediately. Because they're not going to be pouring their life out for Christ. They're going to be desiring to be someone. They're going to be desiring to be served instead of serving. That's how you can identify those false believers and false teachers among you. Oh, You can see it. A true believer, you don't have to teach them to serve. They serve. Discharge all the duty of your ministry. Pour it out. Every responsibility you have, do it. Time is short. So there's a blatant assault. We can all agree on that. That assault is against the Word of God. In church, we must stand against this 
blatant assault. Time's short. May we be diligent in our service to the King. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. God, I pray that that power would rest on the hearts of believers here today. They would see your truth, that they would be moved by your truth, they would be led by your truth, would live for your truth. And I pray for this church that we be ever discerning and that we stay true to Scripture in all that we do and all that we say. Lord, I pray for the one who's here today who does not know Christ. I ask you, Lord, I beg of you, please graciously save them today. Save them from the wrath that is to come. Save them from their sin. Cleanse them and wash them and forgive them as they cry out to Jesus as their only hope. And we pray and we ask these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.